you all already had a seat. I, I didn't know if you were going to after that. I want to keep on singing. Uh, God is real, and some of you all have experienced God's grace and his mercy. We have had, some of you all have faced some pretty big trials, and you have seen God bring healing um, in miraculous ways even this past week and we are thankful for how God is working in your all of our lives God is real we experience him on a daily basis we might doubt we might walk away we might ignore but his love is right there uh, for our soul today we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians and we're going to be reminded of how we together serve in humility with one another and his calling to us. So let's pray together and ask God to speak in a very real and very clear way. Father, thank you so much that you have shown yourself true, shown yourself faithful, always proven day after day that you are real. God, we know that, that no one can please you without coming to you, believing first that you exist. It's what faith is all about. God, thank you for being the God that we can trust, that, we, that honors and serves and loves us, even though you are God and we are just dust. We are just creation. Father, we ask that you would speak through your word today. Help us know you in a deeper way. We pray this all in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Well, I am very thankful this morning. Um, I hope, I think you all were as well. Um, as we saw some others in our congregation sharing their gifts. Thank you, Gene. Uh, but also, you know, Nate, Lillian, Jacob, Jim, Mike. Well, they're not there now. But um, all of the people that, that, that have put together the music for us. Um, if you'll notice, Christine has been away, our fairly new uh, worship director. Um, she um, is on her, like, you know, honeymoon, got married, right? There's a little basket up front. I'm just making sure you know this, that she got married. And there's a place that you can drop a little love offering. Um, Think not just about yourselves, but, you know, the young, young, young adults, you know, these young ones getting married. Some of us remember those days where every little bit helped. <clears throat> I thought I thought about other people, right? I thought I sort of, you know, and I have my little, you know, do you have your little set amount that you kind of give to help, you know, somebody gets married, here's a little something. So I was at one of our local stores and uh, was getting a little gift card, you know, to kind of throw in, you know, like a little little wedding gift. I thought, and, the, and she said, oh, that's sweet, the little cashier person ringing me up. And she said, how much you're putting on there? I'm not going to tell you the amount. Um, <clears throat> and I said, yeah, I just, you know, want to help out that young couple. And the cashier was like, well, you're not helping them that much. <laughs> I got, I got a, little, a little called out there. Apparently, um, inflation has happened. Um, and looking out for, yeah, because I'm trying to save money for, I got retirement to get ready for. It's coming sooner than I thought. Um, I, I've, got, I've got other plans for some vacations, or I've got other things I wanted to do with that money. Um, my wife has some house projects. Are you helping out that young couple like you thought? I guess I wasn't. You know, so often we get wrapped up in our own needs, our own thoughts. We have our own plans that maybe we stop being generous with our money, with our time. We start thinking about really all that we have that are our responsibilities and that are all about our life. And we stop thinking about the needs of others. Today's passage 
the Apostle Paul challenges the church to say, look, don't be only consumed about what's going on in your life, but take on that new couple. Take on that need of a neighbor. Take on the, 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 the Christian family and the responsibilities. Just like others have taken on the music responsibilities today, thank you so much for sharing your gifts. We all take on the needs of others. This is part of the calling. So let's look, we're looking at Philippians chapter two, and it says, even though it says chapter one, it's really chapter two. Humility is a very important Christian value. Let's go ahead and take a look. Moses, who we just studied, we just started our big series on the life of Moses. It says, and God says of him in Numbers 12, verse three, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I think that's shocking when we think about who Moses was in the life of the Israelites. This guy ended up being the savior at age 80, was the one God used to, 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 to do the plagues upon Egypt, to the one God used to lead God's people to the Red Sea and part the Red Sea, the one who was only one invited up into the presence of God to see God uh, in that close proximity, to receive the laws of God and deliver them to the people out of all all of the people that could have had a lot of pride, it would have been Moses. And God says of him, no, a humble man more than anyone else on the face of the earth. I mean, all of us, we kind of, we can be prideful even, even when we, uh, even when we shouldn't, probably shouldn't be, right? We think too highly of ourselves. The Apostle Paul reminds us, you know, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Well, here's the deal. Why is humility so difficult? And of course, it's opposite, pride, that, that selfishness, that self-centered. Why is it so difficult? Well, I want to say this. I feel like humility is one of those especially tricky virtues. It's an especially tricky and elusive virtue. It's difficult. Um, I put up uh, Benjamin Franklin's there, um, right? Um, because sometimes our Benjamins can make us a little prideful, right? We can be, feel like we're self-sufficient because of our money. But that's not why I put the little $100 bills up there. Um, if you know anything much about Ben Franklin, right, one of our founding fathers in this country, the guy was, you know, he had some vices, he had some virtues, he had some, he ended up being a diplomat to Europe, someone who was representing the United States. He was an inventor, he was a scientist, he was a statesman, he had accomplished a lot. In his autobiography, he wrote this. He said, in reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Pride's the tough one. He says, we might disguise it, we struggle with it, we beat it down, we stifle it, we mortify it as if, as much as one pleases, and yet it is still, pride is still alive, and will every now and then peep out and show itself. You will see it. Perhaps often in this history, in, means in his own autobiography, you will see this pride in, in my story here as I'm telling it. He says, for even if I could, see, could conceive that I have completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. If I finally get there, I've eliminated my pride, I've finally put it to death, I've finally gotten rid of all of it, I'd be pretty proud of myself. Oh, and there you got to start over, right? I mean, you see his point. It, it's so elusive for us. For anything, as we become more humble, as we serve more, as God uses us more, as we sacrifice more, 
then all of a sudden it's, well, I guess I do sacrifice a little bit more than most. I guess I am a little bit more generous than others. Apparently not, apparently when it comes to wedding gifts, but for me. But apparently we start thinking as soon as we, we, we become more of a servant, we become prideful about how much we're serving. I hate it. I hate this. It's like I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to be more Christ-like. And all of a sudden I find myself being less Christ-like, being more, like about my, more about myself. Well, in this passage today in Philippians 2, I want us to read through and look at what Paul talks about and how he speaks about pride and really how he speaks about mutuality and about Jesus. So let's read this passage together. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, um, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same kind of love, being one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing, he says, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, that's where you value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you should look to the interests of others. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality as something to be used to his own advantage or something to be held onto or something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has now exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and given him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth, and every tongue will confess and should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. But even if I am being poured out now like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's take a look at this passage a little bit deeper. It's a passage about humility. It's a passage about Christ's likeness. It's a passage that calls the church to, and how it's interacting with others. And some Bible scholars really believe that this passage is only about a particular conflict in church, that there was something going wrong. And that we see that in chapter 4, that there were some women who were in disagreement. Maybe it was about that. Maybe it was other places of disagreement. But i got to be honest. I think in this passage, the Apostle Paul is wanting to point us to Jesus as the ultimate model of who we are in Christ. And that as we come to understand who we are in Jesus and who he is as our model, it changes our perspective about self. In fact, it helps get our perspective off of self. Let's take a deeper look. Here's what I would say. Christian humility, it begins with a spiritual understanding of who we 
are in Christ. Now, I didn't say who I am in Christ or who you are in Christ. I said who we are in Christ. Notice what it says in verse 1. If you have, what? Encouragement from being united in Christ. Any comfort from his love. Any sharing in the Spirit. Any tenderness and compassion. Let's just stop there. When he's saying if, he's really not meaning if here. The sense of the word is really sense or uh, I'm expecting that you. Um, this is, you've got this. You should, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, have incredible encouragement. You have become a new creation, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. The old is now gone. You are something new. Don't you love new things? Got that new computer maybe? Maybe you got a new car. Maybe, maybe your house, you got a new bathroom. There's something about the, the newness of it, right? It's fresh. When you came to faith in Christ Jesus, you became new. There was just you all by yourself that's created in the image of God. But now that creation that was marred or broken because of sin became new. It became new by the presence of the Holy Spirit who revived us, gave a washing and rebirth and renewal. This is what we sang about. God is real. He washed me and made me whole. That experience of being born again, that experience of newness, that should give you incredible joy and compassion and encouragement because you have become one in this body of Christ, united with him. Any comfort from his love? Oh, that's right. It was the love of God that motivated him to send his only son to put him on a cross, to die in your place, to pay for your penalty of your sins. God loves you and will never love you more than in this moment. He has never loved you any less. He will never love you any more because he loves you the maximum amount because in Christ Jesus, all the fullness of God's love for you was expressed in that he sent his own son. Paul says in Romans, he says, very rarely will someone die for a righteous man. Though for a righteous man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, he loves you. He loves me. He loves us all. And now we have this common sharing of the Spirit that we just talked about, this Spirit of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us who produces in us this tenderness, this compassion, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, these fruits of the Spirit that include that tenderness, that compassion, that mutuality. Brothers and sisters, we have an incredible spiritual reality, and that is being one with Christ, experiencing his love and forgiveness, and now being empowered and have this whole new reality. But it's not just mine. right? It's we. It's you. He's talking to the plural. He's talking to the church. So that means something. It means we are the same. Right? We are the same. We need each other. And we need to see each other as the same. That as I am united in Christ, so are you. As I am comforted because his presence is there and his unchanging love, so are you. Uh, God loves you, so I need to love you. God has made you whole and redeemed you and brought you into this family. We now share in this new life of the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit like I do. You are as important to me as I am. as Because I'm pretty important to me. I'll just be honest. We need to see each other in this mutuality. We need to see each other as the same. <clears throat> 
I was on uh, another campus doing my college ministry thing, and we had a concert. And there was, it was a big name band that was there, and then all the students were coming. And one of the roadie type guys, you know, Jim, you've got the roadies, you know, I think it's Juwan right now. Juwan, John, John was the roadie this morning, right, helping carry guitars. Um, but, you know, the, the roadies are around, right? And, and one of the guys who was sort of one of the roadies, he was helping kind of, he was like talking to me, he was like, hey, uh, <clears throat> I know you have these concerts I hear. Can I slip you a CD, uh, you know, a little little demo of the songs I made? You know, I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. You know, I'm not a I'm not a producer. I'm not a music guy. But you want to give me some CD with a couple songs you wrote? Hey, fine. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll listen to it. I plugged it in the in my car back when we had CD players in the old car, and I'm dri driving around listening to it, and the music was okay, but I was trying to hear the lyrics, and and his song was, "If I were you and you were me." what difference would there be between us? Well, remember, I'm the philosophy guy. I'm teaching intro to philosophy. It's like, well, if I'm you and you're me, then actually there would be real difference between us. It would be the same difference that there is now because I would be you and you would be me. And so we would still be different people. We would just be the opposite different people. So I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, so, you know, I couldn't produce the record anyway. It's not going to matter. But if I'm you and you're me, then that just means we've switched. It doesn't mean we're the same. But in Christ Jesus... We have a unity in the Spirit. We are one body in Christ. There is actually a mutuality that he has called us to. He's not called us to maintain some difference. He's not called us to, to lose who we are. He's called us to value each other as he has valued us because he now lives and resides in each of us. That's why he says what? Since all of these things are true, you are encouraged by Christ in this and his love and you share in this new life of the spirit. Since you care for one another, look what it says in verse two, then make my joy complete because I want you to experience the joy that I'm having when I think of you. Make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in, in, in one mind. There's a unity there that comes not because we don't have different opinions, not because we don't like make some different choices, not because there's some things we don't value that are different. That's okay. But we value the main thing that Christ is glorified, that he is having his way within us individually, and he's having his way within this congregation. We are one in spirit. We are one in love. I used to I go to some churches, and I don't know if you've been part of a congregation that used to do this where they would, they would circle up at the end of every service and hold hands and sing something like, we are one in the spirit, we are one. Okay, I'm, I'm going to save that for Nate to do the singing. But we are, we, they would see, well, I kind of thought, well, this is kind of silly. Why are we doing this? Why are we holding hands? As a kid, I was going like, I don't, I don't, you know, why can't we just say amen and be done? But it was a statement, right? We are one. We need to remember that we value each other, that there is a family here that we belong to. So what does Christian humility look like? Well, <clears throat> I, I think there's a couple things that we need to think about. And so let's look at this passage as he describes this, this mutuality, this, this loving of each other. In verse 3, he begins that description with some negatives, with some negatives. Look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And skipping to verse 4, not looking to your own interest. Those are the negatives, right? 
the negatives. Don't do things out of your own ambition, out of the vain conceit. You're not just looking for your own interests. Those are my big two. Don't just try to get what I want. Don't just try to make myself look better. Don't just try to say, well, I sure hope everybody's pleased with me, or look at the great job I got, or I get credit somehow. That, the vain conceit, the selfish ambition, putting myself forward. I was uh, meeting with a brand new, he's a young believer over at the Towson campus, and we were meeting this week, and he's trying to discover this life of Christ, and he asked, can Christians ever have ambition? Interesting question. He's young. He's got dreams for his career, for a family. He, he wants to do something with his life. But wait a second. Following Jesus means sacrifice. Following Jesus means, oh, humility. Following Jesus. And he's starting to think, well, can Christians ever have ambition? Of course they can. Of course they can. 1 Timothy 3 says, if you desire to be an overseer or a pastor, leader type person, that's actually a good ambition. Whenever we're seeking the good of others, seeking the service of others, seeking to see God's kingdom expand in the world, seeking to do so, absolutely, it is okay to have those kinds of ambitions. Absolutely, it's great to have those kinds of dreams. The, um, his Back in the old missions movement, right? Uh, when it was Southern Baptist, one of the things I appreciate is our missions education programs. Uh, Royal Ambassadors. Anybody remember those days? I, I was. Boy, I love those. And, and I remember the, the, the quote um, is, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. I think I said it reverse. I think it's the other way around. Roy's saying, yes, yeah, the other way. Okay. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. It's okay to want to do things that glorify his name. It's okay to have those kinds of ambitions, but they're not selfish. Whenever I want my name on the plaque, my name on the building, my butt... I'm not sure that's going to bless anybody, but you know, at least the name. Put the name. You may not want your uh, face on something or your portrait... But whenever I'm about my legacy, then we're already messed up. I don't want a legacy. I want to lift up his name. I, I don't want to be remembered. I want my life to have made a difference for the king. So it can't be what I'm trying to get for myself. And I'm not trying to make myself look good. But instead, he says this, rather in humility... Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you should look to the interests of others. I, I can remember as a young person being taught this. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. I remember being taught this untruth. That means you need to love yourself first. Then you'll know how to love your neighbors. Look, I'm not saying you got to put yourself down. I'm not saying you should have self-hatred. You are loved by God, and you, should be, and you need to see yourself as valuable in his sight. But here's the deal. We typically do love ourselves. We typically do care about ourselves. That's our sin nature in us. And instead, he says, in humility, what are we doing? We're considering others above ourselves. What are your needs before mine? How do I put you first? But man, I'm telling you, when things make me mad, they make me mad. Something that'll just mm, grate on your nerves. Some of you guys like dogs. I like dogs. They're fine. Um, 
I feel like they make your hand smell now. I was wanting to wash my hands after I touched dog. Anybody with me on this? I'm not a dog smell. I'm not really okay. But a dog, I'm genuinely okay. But I don't like those little nippy dogs. You know what I'm talking about? Those ones that they're in a, they have a bad attitude and they don't like anybody else, right? And I don't know why they exist. They just, they just are a bad attitude puppy and they are just mad. I just do not like those dogs. My neighbor has one of these dogs. It, 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 it tries to get under the fence, right? It, it just, it's always, I'm mowing the yard, and of course, mowing the yard drives this poor thing nuts. So I just leave the mower right running out the way. No, I don't, I don't do that. Um, but he's always just, like he's going to get to me, like it's going to do anything. It's like, just, just go chill somewhere. Just be calm, puppy. It's fine. He's a little bit of a digger, I think. Because for some reason, it used to be you would just hear him. Then you would kind of see his nose. Yesterday, the mouth was all the way through, and all of a sudden, as I'm going by with the mower, my leg isn't going farther because he has a hold of my shoe. And he's not letting go. I mean, and I'm like, what is going on down there? I'm gonna like, let me go find a weed whacker because well, you're gonna find, I, you know, I, I am fear, I am unhappy. I am not, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna, mm -hmm. I, I am not excited about this, right? And your mind starts racing. Here's, I mean, what if it was a bite? What if this thing has rabies? What if a child, we don't have any children, but hypothetically if we had children, I mean, I've got my ire up. This guy's dog has a, you know, do you call somebody or there's there some, gotta be some kind of animal control? I mean, you know, you start having all these, and I'm like, wait a second. Don't look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Be humble. Now, is that dog more valuable than me? Absolutely not. Jesus didn't die for the dog. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I already know I'm more valuable. But the person who loves that dog, which I don't know why they would love that dog, they are loved by Jesus. They are valuable. I'm like, all right. So I'm putting little rocks. You know, I'm filling this thing in. The dog's not going to get through anymore. But my wife was like, you probably ought to go tell the neighbor that, hey, this, you know, this could be a problem with other neighbors. I mean, there's children on either side. He just needs to make sure his fence is secure. And it's like, okay. So I go by and I'm already thinking, here's how I'm going to say this. See, you're already filling in the blank. You already know. Those are sinful thoughts. Let Jesus correct you too. Because on the walkover, Jesus corrected my thinking, right? And it's like, how do I need to approach this? Hey, no harm, no foul. The lawn mowing shoe, I mean, you're not going to damage that. Can I just say, hey, I just wanted to make you aware, just to let you know. I went ahead and I think I've solved the problem, but you might want to put some stones under there. You know, hey, just, I want to introduce myself, by the way. We're neighbors, and so got to know a nice guy, and he was certainly apologetic, and oh, yeah, I'll take care, you know. Um, it was an opportunity, and the farther I got around, it's like, you have an opportunity to be a witness. You have an opportunity to glorify Jesus. You have an opportunity to put the needs of somebody else above your own. You have the opportunity to become more like Christ. What are you doing here? In humility, consider others better than yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, if that dog does buy me, we got another problem. But, <laughs> okay, no, how, how can we just make sure that doesn't happen? Okay, I remember this as I was a kid. Did you remember this? People talking about what joy could stand for, how to have real joy. Flip to this next slide. Prioritize Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. I don't know why that stuck with me as a kid, but I think it's true. 
If I'm putting myself first, if I'm looking for my own good, then I'm always going to be frustrated. If I'm taking joy in, in, in what God is doing in others, it goes a lot better. Well, I want you to see two other things. Not only do we spiritually need to understand that we are all loved by God and all brought into this community, that this helps us in our humility, but number two, we, our humility, can actually grow as we contemplate Jesus, as we grow through a doctrinal understanding of who Christ truly is. Not just who we are, but who Jesus truly is. This is where Paul goes with this message. He does it through, well, most people think he's quoting a song. Most people think this was an early Christian hymn, whether it's one that Paul wrote himself or whether the Christians were already singing. But somehow, Paul is, is using this as an example to not only teach us about humility, but teach us about the nature of Jesus. Let's take a look. Verse 5. Your relationship with one another should be have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And now he's going to tell us, and here comes the song part. It has a rhythm to it. It has a, a, a lyrical nature to it. And he says, who being in very nature God? That's Jesus. Verse 6. His very nature is God, yet he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to or used to his own advantage, grasped. This is one of the most important doctrinal statements in the New Testament about who Jesus is. That he is, in fact, one with the Father. That Jesus was pre-existent. That he wasn't just born. He was existed before he was born. And in fact, his parents were made by him. Right? I mean, the world was made by him. That's what Scripture tells us. In fact, in John chapter 1, um, it says it this way. Um, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the reason. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to tell us the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten of God. He's talking about Jesus. The Word he's speaking of is not the Bible Word. It is this Logos. It is the Word of God. It is Jesus. It says He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning, and through Him, through Jesus, all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, John is trying to convey a truth that is very hard for us to understand. How in the world can we understand that Jesus is Jesus, God the Father is God the Father, and yet somehow they are together in this Trinity thing? And if you want me to explain it, bad. <laughs> I don't know if I, I might be stuck because it's a little bit hard. But John was trying to help us understand it. John was trying to help us understand it. And he was doing it through the language of the Greek philosophers of his time. John was writing out to, to Asia Minor and to the Christians who were spread about the Roman world who were deeply impacted by Greek philosophy. And some of our Greek philosophers, they use the term logos to mean the ordering principle. Heraclitus, a famous Greek philosopher, one of the pre-Socratics, I'm about to teach that next week in my philosophy class. Uh, the pre, well, actually, it's two weeks from. Uh, Heraclitus, the pre-Socratics, he believed the world was made by fire. And everybody's like, okay, Heraclitus, I can prove you wrong. Nothing's burning up. If we were all fire, wouldn't we be burning up? And he's like, no, 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 the Logos holds it all together. The lo What's the Logos? The ordering principle of the universe. And here, 
John is using the same language to describe Jesus. That Jesus is the one by whom, for whom, through whom the universe was made. He's the one that's holding the universe together. He's using this, this, this language and the understanding of the people of his day to communicate a tr spiritual truth. That Jesus is God. And the writer of Hebrews says the same thing when he says, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. He sustains everything through his powerful word. And after Jesus had provided purification for sins, he now sits at the right hand of, of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the exact representation of God, the radiance of God, this firm emanation, this firstborn of God, the monogonase. Jesus is the highest person. He is the ultimate authority. He is the one by whom, for whom all things exist. So realize that only Jesus could die for sins. Not only because he was sinless, but also because Jesus is just worth more than all of creation put together. I don't know what a galaxy is worth. I don't know what a, a galaxy cluster is worth, but Jesus is worth more. The Son of God is worth more than all of us put together. He is God in the flesh. Jesus became one of us, this one who is God. He, what did he say? Did not consider equality with, equality with God something to be held onto or used to his own advantage. Rather, instead, he became nothing. Nothing? He's talking about one of us. Dust. Nothing. People whose lives are here today, gone tomorrow. People who are so temporary. People who, is, who our whole existence depends on God and on Jesus. Us who are nothing. Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant, not coming as king, not coming as ruler, though that's his rightful place. He came as servant. He came as slaves. He came to put other people before his own self. He came as the one who would die for us. He came to bring us to God. He became the servant, although he is king and Lord of all. He was made in human likeness. Can you imagine if you were the one who could spin off galaxies by a word, who could create stars in all of their power, who could do immeasurably more than anything we could think of, who could control molecules and, and atoms, who could do all of that, took off those powers, took off that eternal nature took off that supreme authority and humbled himself and became someone who was like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to get something to eat. Oh, I need to take a nap. I'm just tired. I got, I got some pains after yesterday. Oh, working out, doing the yard work, doing the... That was Jesus. He became us. He limited himself to us. He became a servant in human likeness. And not only so, it says what? He humbled himself and became obedient, became obedient, even to death, even death on a cross. Not just dying, not just suffering, but suffering the humiliation that came from being nailed to a tree, probably naked, probably humiliated, having his flesh ripped from his back, having been beaten and bruised with the crown of thorns upon his head. This Jesus took on flesh and took on suffering on our behalf. Can you imagine 
what it was like. Can you imagine the step down that he took in humility to put our needs ahead of his? When we humble ourselves to serve someone else, when we humble ourselves to, to put, put someone else's needs before our own, it, it is. It, it's taking a step down. It's saying, look, I'm going to consider you better than me. Look, I, I, I'm going to lower myself a little bit and put you first. But that step, it's a step. It, it, it's like going off the curb. It's like going down one level. But Jesus... <laughs> His step down is incomprehensible. His step down was from the heights of glory, from the position of all authority, from the position of all majesty, into our crude, simple, stinky existence. I don't know if you've ever been to one of these, these really high skyscrapers that has like the observation decks. I've gone to one of these really high places, like, like in Chicago. Some of you guys are the Chicago, the, the, was it the Willis Tower, right? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, right. It's pretty big up there. Um, they've got some pictures of some kids up there that um, like they have these little where you can step out and it's all glass. <clears throat> I don't think I'm doing this. Any of you doing this? Okay, Barry is definitely not doing this. Where you step out there and like, it looks like you could fall like a thousand stories um, to the ground. I mean, you were way up, way out, and everything down there is way down there. For Jesus, it was like stepping off, what do you want to say, the moon? Pluto? Some other distant galaxy to come down? We couldn't even give it a measurement. What would it be like to be the one who always has been, the one who, who, who understood all things and had all authority and all power to come down and go, gosh, I think I need a blanket. It's a little chilly. I, I'm hungry to have needs and to ultimately suffer and die. We can never imagine how much Christ gave up to save us. But what we can imagine and be taught is how much his humility is a model to us. If he can make that step, can't we lower ourselves a little bit for that neighbor or for that guy in traffic or for that person at the workplace or for our brothers and sisters here at church when we see a need? Finally, I want to say this. Christian humility culminates in an eschatological, oh boy, that's important, an eschatological experience that we will all share. I think that's misspelled. I think it's O-T-O-L. Okay. Um, eschatological. It's an end times experience. It's an end times experience that we will all share because we need to realize this, that at the end, Jesus will be exalted. We may not, we may not see him exalted everywhere and every place now, but he will be. Look at verse 9. Therefore God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and given Jesus a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, since Jesus has been exalted, since he ultimately will be glorified by every tongue, everyone saying Jesus is Lord, everyone acknowledging his supremacy, why don't we go ahead and do that now? Why don't in humility we go ahead and put Jesus first 
now. And go ahead and say, Jesus, you are Lord, so be Lord of this choice. Be Lord of this action. Be Lord of this thought. Be Lord of this hour. Be Lord of this time. Lord, you are Lord, so be Lord in me. Be glorified in me. Our humility grows as we put Jesus first everywhere. If that's our future, what it means for us is that we work out our salvation. Jesus is Lord. We might as well surrender everything to him and every aspect of life. Jesus is Lord, so work out your salvation. This is what Paul says. Look in verse 12 of chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've often obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, work out your salvation. What does that mean? You're already saved if you have faith in Jesus. You're already forgiven if you have faith in Jesus. You already have eternity guaranteed if you have your faith in Jesus. Work it out? Well, he means being conformed to that image of Jesus, that, that tr sanctification, that having that character transformed, that Jesus becoming Lord. For it is God, look at verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to fulfill his good purpose, his good purpose in you of making you like Jesus. And then one last point. How do we make it, how does we make this future Jesus being glorified? How does it impact our humility now? This might be an odd point for some of you, but it makes a lot of sense to me. We rejoice in the sacrifice of others. We rejoice in the sacrifice of others. What does that mean? Well, let me show it to you first. In verse 17 it says, um, even now if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice. And you too should rejoice with me. You see, sometimes in our humility, it becomes kind of a false humility. This is the one that speaks to me a lot. Sometimes we try to do it all. Sometimes we try to do everything. We try, well, I don't want to inconvenience someone else. I don't want to challenge someone else. I, I don't want someone else to have a burden. Brothers and sisters, in humility, we need to remember that actually other, the service of others is good for them too. Paul says, you rejoice that I'm having to sacrifice. Rejoice that I'm serving Christ. Rejoice that I'm being put, punished and I'm in prison for the gospel right now. It's okay because this is for the glory of Jesus. Sometimes we invite slash challenge others into service. That is actually still humility. Why? Because we are all helping one another put Jesus first. He is first. He is Lord. We're helping each other make Jesus Lord. This is tough for me because I'd rather just do it myself. I'd rather just, well, if I'm asking you to bleed, I better be hemorrhaging. Well, maybe we all need to sacrifice and serve and rejoice over the sacrifices of one another. This is what it takes to be a deacon or deaconess as we're looking at electing those in our church. It's not about a title. It's not about a position. It's about service. Anybody want to volunteer for more service? Because <laughs> the only way you're a deacon, the only way you're qualified to be a deacon is, the only, is if you're saying, yeah, I have the space and the capacity to serve. The only way you're a trustee is not someone to have authority, is to have the place of service. The only way you're a teacher is not to be like, well, I'm a teacher. It's because you've got to prepare the lesson. It's because you're helping other people learn. It is about sacrifice and service of others. Brothers and sisters, this is to what we are called, serving one another.
Today we have a way that we remember service. We're going to celebrate as part of our worship today. Uh, we call it the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist. It's a way we remember what Christ has done. You see, the Apostle Paul tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke and said, this is my body, broken for you. And the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. That night was the night that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, showing them the full extent of his love. Today, I want to invite you to prepare your hearts and minds to remember what Jesus has done for you, to remember his sacrifice for you, now, if there's someone who didn't get elements today, uh, we, we, we have one for you. Uh, Dick is coming around if, if you need, uh, if anybody missed it today. But you take this time just to pray. Remember that Jesus' body was broken for you. Remember what was done for you, how his blood was poured out, that he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Scripture tells us, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord. Scripture tells us that in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus' blood that was shed for our sins. Paul tells us that every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the Lord's death and how we serve in humility the people around us. Let's proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his humility that fleshed out your love for us. Thank you for calling us to a life that gives to others and not just to ourselves. We pray these things for the glory of Jesus, the exalted one, the one in the highest place. Amen. Today, if you want to be a member of this church, you're saying this is where God is placing me to serve in humility with one another. You come and you respond during this time. You can come to the front. Pastor Barry will be here. I'll be here. Um, if you need to know who Jesus is and you're saying, I, I don't know this, this, this God who has loved me. I don't know this, this Messiah, Savior who has come. If that's you and you want to know Jesus, you come. This is a time to make a decision. This is a time to decide to follow him. If you just need prayer or maybe you just need to gather at the altar or you just need to say, Lord, help me be like Jesus. You make that decision where you are or you come. You worship the Lord. And during this time, 
The music team's going to come. They're going to lead us in one more song. You let it be a time of decision. You let it be a time of reflection. You be, let it be a time of worship between you and the Lord. I'm going to pray for us as they come. God, thank you for this time this morning. Help us continue to live out this new salvation. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.